Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, guys. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians over in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read from the Lord's Word here in just a moment. Um, Without question, Tuesday's, um, shall we say, unprecedented uh, election results have triggered a groundswell of uh, emotion, frustration, jubilation, disdain, unbelief, shock, joy, sadness, madness, gladness, anger, just about every and any emotion you can imagine. Uh, Somebody has felt it and probably expressed it uh, this week. It it has seemingly uh, brought out the worst of America and hopefully in some places the best. But, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, there's a reaction from the sports world and the news world and the entertainment world and the corporate world and the religious world and every other facet of our world. Somebody has had something to say about it and somebody's uh, got some really strong emotion about it. And, and you know, I don't know what's mo- most disappointing. I don't know if it's the fact that, that we can't protest without destroying other people's property. I don't know if it's that we can't report the, the news without, uh, you know, just with, without having a little bit of integrity. Or, or maybe, I think maybe the most disappointing thing for me is, is the, the Hollywood elites that promised to leave have not left. That's really, you know, I just want to say, could you, could you keep your word? You know, you want us to, you want everybody to keep your word. And, and, uh, and then I understand that even California is thinking of seceding. So we'll see what happens there. Um, who knows? But, but, but here's, here's the thing. Here's what this whole election and the whole cycle and the shocking outcome and the unbelief of, uh, of Mr. Trump, uh, being elected, uh, what it's done is it's magnified this division, this anger, hostility, this tension in our culture. Cause, I mean, there's, what it's done is just kind of peel back the scab and you can look in and see that, that, that there, there are some desperate, there's a desperate need in our culture, there's an ugliness about sin. And, and what we see, and I, I shared this in, in our prayer group this morning, what, what this has shown us is that, that everybody wants their way. It, it doesn't matter who you are, you want your way. And we, that's, and, and I, I'm like that, you're like that, we're all like that. But, but what that says, I mean, that's, that's the selfishness of sin. This says, I want what I want. And so what this has done is it's uncovered this this ugliness, but it's also uncovered this desperate need we have in America for spiritual awakening. I mean, this, uh, you know, we're desperate. Now, whatever else this means, it should be a reminder to believers. This world is not our home. Uh, this is not heaven. It never will be heaven. It can be good. It can be bad. It can be indifferent, but, but it's not heaven. And yet while we are here, God has called us uh, to to really to not trust in a political party, uh, but to communicate there's a hope. And, and I guess with all the mercy and with all the grace that we can muster, what we need to be declaring as the church is that the solution is it's not in a donkey, it's not in an elephant, it's in a lamb. The Lamb of God is the only solution. Nobody else is going to solve the, the, the deep-rooted issues that we have. 
And so in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the rhetoric, we need to be reminded, we who are the people of God, that, that there is a God in heaven, that he has a message for us. And more than that, while, while we're here, he has a responsibility for us. And so what I want to do this morning is look at one of Paul's prayers, and I want to kind of unpack this idea. Uh, you know, I, I, we need to understand we have privileges. We need to understand that God has given us some promises but we also need to understand that, that we need to do something with them. So let's read our text, and then we'll take a few minutes, uh, the time we have, and we'll work our way uh, through uh, a few important uh, critical thoughts. Ephesians 1, beginning verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, these are unprecedented days. Uh, obviously, there's, there's, uh, there's just a chaotic time. Uh, with the election and with all the the, the fallout, uh, Lord, there's even a, a little bit of anarchy here and there, and just uh, just a lot of angst and a lot of fear and a lot of frustration and a lot of anger. And, and Father, I I know that you sit enthroned in heaven above all of this, and God, you are you are working through all the situations, the unrest that we're facing. And, and you're, you're accomplishing your purpose, and, and we don't necessarily know what that looks like. Uh, Lord, it's new to us to have uh, this type of division, uh, Lord, at least in most of our lifetime. And yet, Lord, it's not unusual across the globe. There are nations that live with this. They live in this tension every day. And, and, and yet, in, in those nations, the gospel's got to go out. And in our nation, Lord, the gospel needs to go out. And so I would just pray that you would do a couple things in our hearts today. First of all, God, I pray that you would comfort us knowing that, that, that we are called of God to a living hope. And just, just comfort us, Lord, and Lord, and, and just minister to us. And then, God, I pray secondly that you would open our eyes, that we would see what you're doing and, and what you have for us, uh, big picture. And then number three, God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts as the people of God to not sit idly by uh, to not engage in the rhetoric, but to fulfill your purpose. So would you just speak into our hearts this morning? Would you speak into our life uh, for those of us who are believers? And then, Father, I know also in the auditorium, not everyone here is a follower of Jesus. And, God, I pray that when they see the promises you've made to us and the privileges you have for us, that their heart would be stirred to follow the Jesus of the Bible, to come to know the one who has all authority, and who has all love and poured out that love on the cross. And so, God, would you have your way in every heart this morning, every life. And we'll be careful to give you the honor and the glory 
for all you do. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we actually, a few of us gathered in, or a number of us gathered in here on Monday night, and we were just praying. We were we had a time of worship and, and a time really a prayer for the nation and, and just for healing and for our leaders. And we closed that time out with the thought, with the truth out of the Scriptures, that our God is sovereign over uh, all things, that He's always He's always seated on His throne, and He's always doing uh, whatever He pleases. And it, that being true, if, if God is who He says He is, and if God is in heaven doing what He needs to be doing, and He's working out His plan, then then our greatest need, this is interesting, because our greatest need, we would think, is for God to speak into the, the circumstances of, of what's going on in life. But that's really not what our greatest need is. What our greatest need is, is is to really know God. I mean, if you remember the story of Jesus, he comes to uh, to Lazarus' home. Lazarus had two sisters. He had Mary and Martha. And Martha was kind of a, I don't know that she was a busybody, but she was kind of the workaholic. And then and then Mary was kind of, you know, she was kind of the, the, the worshiper. And so Jesus comes in and, and, and Mary just sits at his feet and just starts absorbing the majesty of Jesus. And Martha's over here fixing dinner and she's got a casserole in the oven and she's doing all that and she's trying to get everything ready because Jesus is coming. And she gets really chapped with Mary and she says, Jesus, could you tell Mary to help me because I got all this going on. You remember what Jesus said? She said, he said, Martha, you're worried over many things, but Mary, she's chosen the best to sit at my feet. Now, there's a lot going on, and we'll talk about it, and we're living in that, but the best is not to go out there and, and, and charge those issues, but the best is to know God deeply, to know who He's called us to be and to know what He has for us. A.W. Tozer was a great pastor, theologian, author, the middle of the last century in the mid you know, in the 40s and 50s, but he made this stunning observation. Listen to this quote. I think it's out of Pursuit of God. But nearly 70 years ago, he made this statement. He says, we have been, talking about believers, we have been snared in the coils of a spurious, a spurious logic which insists that if we have found him, we need no more to seek him. If we have found God, we need no more to seek God. And that is often the practice of the the believer. A lot of us are like, well, I know Jesus, so I really don't need to seek Him. But on the contrary, because we know Him, even more deeply do we need to seek Him. I mean, listen listen to what what Paul was praying for, for. Literally, it was for the Ephesians, but he was praying this for us. He says in verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in our prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So what what he was saying is, Ephesians, what you need the most is to know God. Now, we don't know everything about the, the culture in Ephesus But man, they were in the middle of the Roman Empire and you had the Christian church and you had everybody else and you had, you know, slavery was this major issue. Immorality was this major issue. There was so much religious, cultic 
promiscuity and just, I mean, it, this place was a mess. It was a mess. Kind of like what we're living in. And so Paul writes in this letter and says, hey, I'm praying because what you need is the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so if we're gonna, if we're gonna have an impact out there, then, then we've got to come to know him in a, in a very deep and intimate way. And so Paul prays for that. And, 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 and in his prayer, he says, now I want you, I want you to have this spirit of, of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that your hearts can be enlightened, so that you can see, so that you'll know. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but, but here's the thing that kind of Gives us a little bit of, uh, of of context. Not everybody. When you get in a group like this, we're, we don't all believe the same. We don't all, you know, we we don't all talk the same. We don't all know the same. You know, there, there's a there's just differences. In fact, there's at least there's probably four kinds of people in here at the very least. First of all, uh, in fact, turn to uh, turn to First Corinthians. Go go left in your Bible. First Corinthians chapter two. Uh, the, the first, let me just give you these four people real quick, and we, we don't have a lot of time, but let me just say this. First of all, there's, there's what, what Paul calls uh, the natural man. Look at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody, and you tried to talk to them about just maybe some... Um, Maybe you were trying to talk to them about some norm, some traditional moral issues like marriage or, or, or pro-life. Or maybe you were trying to have a conversation with them about uh, evolution versus atheism. Or maybe you were just trying to have a conversation with them about, about who Jesus is. And, and, and it was, it's so clear to you what the Bible says, but it's so foreign to them. Have you ever had that conversation? Because if you haven't and you continue to talk about or you begin or continue to talk about Jesus, one day you're going to have that conversation. And, and you're going to go, how can, how can they not see this? Now, I think I've told you this story, but some of you weren't here that day. When I was 18 or 19, uh, I, was, uh, I was serving as an FFA officer in Florida, a state officer. And me and a buddy of mine, we had, we were spe- we had spoken at a church in Tampa. And we somehow we got in a spiritual conversation with these two girls from Tampa. And one of them believed in reincarnation. And the other one, you know, we were talking about going to heaven and hell. And the other one said, well, you know, I just don't believe in hell. Now, I was 18 and and, and I was from, I, I grew up in Williston, Florida, man. I mean, you were either Baptist, Methodist, or Catholic. You were something and you believed something. And I was like, you don't believe, how do you not believe? And so, I mean, I just got the book out and said, here's what the Bible says. Went over head. Now, what we've got to wrap our minds around is that spiritual truth is spiritually discerned. And we, we shouldn't be surprised when people don't believe like we believe and see things the way we see them. If, if they don't know the Christ we know, they're not going to believe the things we believe. And, and, and so Paul's just saying, he's just saying that's the natural man. Then he goes on to talk about the spiritual man. There in verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, 
but himself is, is to be judged by no one. Now, no, no, you know, the spiritual person has the ability to at least look at Scripture and say, here's what Scripture says about, you know, uh, 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 about life, you know, or about, you know, whether, you, does God value life? Should you value unborn babies? Should you, value, you know, should you value people and not do euthanasia? You know, a, a spiritual person can look at Scripture and make discerning decisions. In, in many of the social arenas. And so he talks about the spiritual person. Then he, then he identifies a third person. Look in chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual. He's writing to believers. They're brand new believers. They're about two years old, we think. I could not address you as spiritual, but as people of the flesh. Now look at this term. Then he says, as, as infants in Christ. In other words, what he was saying is when you came to Christ... I couldn't talk to you like a big person because you weren't a big person. You were a little person. You were, a, you were a young believer. And you couldn't handle solid food, so I gave you milk. And so anytime you get a group of people together, out in the world, even in the church, you got some people that are natural. They're not yet believers. you got people that are spiritual. They are growing believers. you got people that are, that are spiritual babes. They're new in Christ. But there's also a third group or a fourth group. And this is what's interesting. Tom Nelson pointed this out in... in, in some stuff I was uh, studying with him this week. Look at verse 3 of 1 Corinthians. And so he writes to them. Well, let me just let me just kind of give you some context of verse 3. So, so he writes to them. He had been there two years ago. They had come to know Christ. And he said, when you came to know Christ, you couldn't chew food, so I gave you milk. But listen to what he says. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. He says, but even now... It's been two years, and, and you're still not ready for it. What, basically what he's saying is, 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 is what's wrong with you, for you're still of the flesh. Now, the interesting thing is, at least to me, because I'm, I'm not a theologian, but I like to study this stuff. The word flesh in verse 1 is, in the Greek, is sarkinos. It, it's kind of a, it, the, the idea is a baby there. The word flesh in verse 3 looks the same in English, but it's sarkikos. The nuance is in the first verse, they were actually infants. In the second use there in verse 3, they weren't infants, but they were acting like it. So they were acting like spiritual babies. And so what we have, so, so Paul says this prayer in Ephesians, says, I'm praying that you have a spirit of wisdom and, and, and revelation in the knowledge of him. Cause, cause some of you are natural men, you're not gonna get it. Some of you are spiritual men, you should be able to get it. Some of you are spiritual babes, it's gonna be a while before you get it. But some of you, you're just acting like babies and you need to wake up so you'll get it. And so at any time we have a group, there, there's people in there. And so Paul says, okay, I'm praying for this. I want this to happen. And so if you go back to Ephesians uh, 1, what we see is he's praying that, that we will gain understanding. God wants you and me to gain some context and some understanding. And so that gives us an idea. Why, why, did, he, why did he pray with such passion that they, their hearts would be enlightened and that they would know the things uh, that he wants us to know. And, and the reason is because, because in the ups and downs, the good and bad, and the chaos of the world we live in today here in America and around the globe, God wants us to live by truth and by facts, not by feelings and circumstances. And what he wants and desires is for the people of God to know what we know and to live based on what? We know. And so let me just, in our text there, back in Ephesians, uh, 
One, he gives us kind of three ideas, and we may get to a fourth one if time permits, probably won't, but, but he gives us three ideas, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. What does he want us to know? Number one, he wants us to know what is the hope of his calling. God wants you to know, and God wants me to know, that he has a plan for us. There is a hope to our calling. Now, here's what we need to, and, and I think we've talked about this before, but I want to give some clarity. Hope in the New Testament has a different meaning than hope in our culture. We hope something will happen. If you if you were a A&M, Baylor, Texas, Tech football fan, we hope yesterday would have been different. Now, we were hoping... But it didn't happen, right? We're hoping next week will be different, but hey, who knows? It may not happen. But so, so there's, there's this uncertainty with, with hope in our culture. But New Testament hope, it's, it's not about uncertainty. It's about a promise that's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And so that's why Peter talks about we've been given new birth into a living hope. Uh, we'll look over in Titus in just a minute where we talk about it. And so I want you to get some context that, that, that God's given us a hope. It's not an uncertainty. It's a certainty. There's a hope to which he has called us. In fact, look up in chapter, uh, look up in chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, it says, in love, in verse 4, in love he predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus according to his purpose and will. And then if you look in verse 11, it says, In him we have, been, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here, when, when you think about God's plan for your life, here's what, here's what you got to know. you got to know this. You, you are not an afterthought. God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, in fact, Psalm 139, verse 16 says that God has ordered your steps before one of them came to be. And so God, God has thousands of years, God has, God has a plan for your life. And God has a plan for my life. And God has a purpose for us. What surprises us, what takes us aback, what we can't imagine, God knew about in advance. And he's right in the middle of what's going on in our world and what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your life and in your world and what's going on in my life. But God is right smack in the middle of it. He ordered it and ordered our steps before one of them came to be. Now, having said that, with that in mind, understand that, that part of that is the blessed hope that, that, that Jesus is going to come again. In fact, go to the right in your Bible to the book of Titus. Go past Colossians and then Thessalonians and Timothy. Get to Titus. Listen to chapter 2. Uh, listen, we're going to jump in the middle kind of for context, but listen to verse 13. Here's what we're doing. We're waiting for our blessed hope. There's that, there's that term, hope. Not uncertainty, but a promise. We're waiting for the blessed hope. Look at this. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And so there is a, there is a blessed hope for you and me, and that hope is that Jesus is going to come. Now, we don't know when, but I can tell you it's closer now than it's been. 
And, and, and before he comes, you might go. But even if you go before he comes, you're going to go to be with him. So there's this blessed hope, this, this appearing that's coming. Now, what is the purpose of that appearing? It says, it says he's coming to redeem us. In fact, one of the ideas of redemption in Scripture is, is the redemption of our body. Uh, how many of us are over 50? Anybody? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, pretty good. How many of you feel you can't do what you used to could physically? You can't do what you used to could do. How many of you, it hurts a lot when you try to do what you used to could do? Yeah. Uh, see, the older we get, the more we can't wait to get a new body. Well, well not only... God's going to redeem our body, and we're, we'll, we'll talk about that, and we'll look at that. But He's not going to just give us a new body. But Scripture says when He comes again, he's going, to take, he, he's going to give us a new place to hang out. So there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to get a, a, a redeemed uh, human body. Now, we don't know what that's like. I mean, we, we probably have an idea. But listen to what John said about this. Over in 1 John 3, let me read a couple verses. This is pretty interesting. Uh, 1 John 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children. Now, now listen to this. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him. As he is. And so one day, the, 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 the blessed hope is that one day you're going to get a brand new body re-engineered for eternity. And then once we get that new body, we're going to get a new place to, to, to function with that body. The new heaven and new earth. Now, we don't know what it's going to be like. Now, we, you, you want a glimpse of it. You, you, if, you want a, if you want a glimpse of it, you read the end of the Gospels, you know, after Jesus was resurrected. Because what we know is that he could walk and talk, and he could eat, and he could fish, and he could transcend time and space. I mean, he, he appeared in a room with the doors locked. He could fly. I mean, he ascended to heaven. And so we got this. So, so God's going to redeem this body, and one day he's going to redeem this body, and he's going to put this body, the, the, my spirit, your spirit, if you're a believer, our soul with that body, re-engineered for eternity, and then we're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. That's what the blessed hope is. But, but here's the thing. You go, man, you're being deep, you're being theological. What does that matter now? Well, let me tell you how it matters now. While we're waiting for that redemption, we're supposed to be living out our righteousness. Notice, if you're still in First John, listen to verse 3. It says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me ask you a question before I answer that one. Uh, have you found yourself this week, uh, in light of all this stuff going on with election or maybe some other things in your life, have you, have you found yourself at all frustrated? Have you found yourself at all angry? Uh, have you found yourself talking to the TV or anything, because that's kind of what I've found myself doing. I mean, I, 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 was respond, I, I was answering people that weren't even asking me questions. I mean, I was just telling them stuff. You know, and here's what I know. Whatever your position, I mean, ever, we've, none of us have the same position on anything. Some of us have a lot of different positions. But it does, whatever your position is, politically, socially, whatever, there's always somebody that's diametrically opposed to you. There's always somebody that believes completely different than you, whatever your view is. And here's what, and so I'm wrestling with all this stuff. 
And here's what the Spirit of God said to me. The guy that's completely opposite of you, I love him. I love her. And Jesus died for him and her. And so what God's called us to be is to step back from the rhetoric and to model the gospel. That's why John said, hey, we're to be pure as he is pure. We're to be Jesus in a culture that's not really looking for Jesus. They're looking for all kind of stuff. And so, yeah, do we have a blessed hope? Absolutely. Is God going to redeem our body one day? Absolutely. But while we're waiting on our redemption, we are to be living out our righteousness, modeling for people, you know, the benefit and the blessing of the gospel. And so... Paul says, I pray that you know God's plan for you. Uh, secondly, and we've got to move quickly with this one. Uh, Paul said, I, I pray that you would know that God's prize is you. This is such an interesting verse. If you go back to, to verse 18, the second half of the verse, Paul says, I pray that you'll know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, if you read study Bibles and you read commentaries, you know, you know what a lot of them are going to say here? A lot of them are going to say here that, that what Paul's talking about is the inheritance that you and me have in Christ Jesus. And they're going to say, you know, you, you need to understand the inheritance that you have in Christ. Now, that is true. But that is really not what the text says. The best translation of that text isn't talking about the glorious inheritance that we have from God. The best translation of that text is that you and me are the glorious inheritance of God through Jesus Christ. That you, as a believer, are God's prize. That's why the psalmist wrote in 116, verse 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of, are the death of his saints. Why is it precious? Because the believer is, is God's prize. Now, if, if uh, and this worked good in the early service, because I talked about children and grandchildren. If you have grandchildren, man, they're the, they're, you know, hopefully children... But if you have grandchildren, they're the most precious thing in your life. Hopefully, if you have children, they're the most precious thing in your life. Because I know for me, man, my, my greatest treasure is my two girls. And they're precious to me. And, and, and I, as parents, your kids are precious to you. And, and because they are, what's mine is theirs. Right? Now, they might not get it until I'm ready for them to get it. Don't, I mean, they, they can't have it all today. But what's mine is theirs. Why? Because they're the most precious thing in my life. Well, as a, as a follower of Jesus, man, you are a joint heir with Christ. What's his is yours. Now, we may not get it all now, but because we're his prized possession, because you're his prized possession, everything that God has in terms of Jesus' inheritance, you're a co-heir of that. You, you're a co-inheritor of that. But so, so with that as the background, we need to understand that's... Because we're that important to God, we don't have to impress anybody else. You don't have to go to school and fit in with a crowd because they believe this or they believe that. We don't have to go to work and fit in with this group. Or we don't, we don't have to go over here and we don't have to try to please this person. Or we don't have to try to do this so we can... Listen, you don't have to please me. 
If, if you're not, in fact, and I don't have to please you, if you're not impressed with me, it's okay because I'm his prize. If, if I'm not impressed with you, it's okay because you're his prize. We, we, we exist for an audience of one. And so in the context, what that should do, that should help us understand that, listen, we can live out our faith. We can fulfill our promise. We can do what God's called to do. And if nobody likes it, as long as we do it lovingly, biblically, we're okay. But we need to do it lovingly and biblically. You know, we, that's why we can't engage some of the rhetoric. Before you post, I know some of you have already posted some stuff you probably shouldn't have. I try not to post because unless it's happy birthday because you get yourself in trouble. But whether you like it or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, what you post, what you send on Instagram, what you tweet out, what, however, however you do that stuff, whatever you're doing now, I don't, I'm kind of behind. But whatever, you, whatever you're saying, people see you as a Jesus follower. They know you're a Jesus follower. You you represent him, not you. So we need to be careful. Last of all, uh, maybe last of all, real quickly. Peter, or or Paul prayed that we would know we were God's prize. We would know God has a plan for us. Uh, Last, he said, to know God's power for you. Look at verse 19 in Ephesians 1. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? How many of you believe that verse is true? How many of you believe that there's immeasurably great? Is that all? Is that it? Okay. Most of us believe. Not just power. Not just great power. Not just... But think about that. The, the immeasurable greatness of his power is available to us who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that, that took Jesus out of the grave and, and, and raised him from the dead and has seated him in the heavenlies and given him authority and dominion and power over everything in the universe in this age and the age to come. That same power is available to us and we believe that's true and yet, I set you up. I'm just going to be honest. How many of us this week have had a spiritual conversation about how Christ can work in a person's life in light of all that's going on in the world. Praise God for you. Because for for a lot of us, we've had a political conversation. And yet God's called us to have a spiritual conversation. Because what's going to... The hope of the world is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God's called us to to speak into the cultural issues... Not with uh, rhetoric and not with judgmentalism, but with grace and mercy and the peace of the gospel. And so, I, you know, as, as we think about, listen, the power of God is available to us. And we should, be, we should be using the power of God to make disciples and to encourage people to become followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what he's called us to be. Now, interestingly enough, the word, um, the word there, power, is, uh, is the word dunamis. It's, um, it's from which we get, our, uh, we get our word dynamite. We get our word dynamic. Uh, and, and yet, it's not God's power is going to explode into a believer's life. What, it, what the idea is that the believer, we have intrinsic power in our life and that God will empower us.
to have spiritual conversations. God will empower us to live out our faith in a way that's pleasing to Him and honors Him and yet can show grace and mercy to those who might be on the other side of the aisle from where we are. And so that is what God has called us to do. Now, uh, let me tell you a quick story and, and, and we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, in a few weeks, you're going to go Christmas shopping. Some of you probably already have. Uh, we're, you're going to see people ringing the bell for the Salvation Army. Uh, anybody, have you noticed that? Anybody, are they out yet? Why are they out yet? They'll be out in a couple weeks. All right. Uh, let me tell you the story. William Booth founded the, the Salvation Army. What happened, his father's death, when his father died, he began to examine his life. And, and he realized that he needed something, and he gave his life to Jesus. And he got saved. He became saved. He discovered the Wesleyan Church. And, and then salvation became real to him when he realized that he had taken a silver pencil box from a buddy, and God put it on his heart. I need to give that back. And so he gave this thing back that he had taken, and God began to work in his heart. And he got to looking around. He goes, you know, the church isn't really doing what it ought to be doing. And so God, God stirred his heart to start the Salvation Army. And, and uh, William Booth, this is incredible, in 60 years of ministry, he preached 60,000 sermons. That's the average of three a day. I don't know if they were all new or not, but I mean, it's, can you imagine? In a hundred, couple hundred years ago, he traveled 60,000 miles. Not much for us, but when you're on foot or on horseback, it's a lot. He raised up an army of over 2 million soldiers to proclaim the gospel. At his funeral, at his funeral, there was a lady that had been a prostitute. She had three faded flowers. I don't remember what, what kind they were, but she took these three faded flowers. She laid them on the casket. Stayed there the whole service. The flowers stayed there the whole service. In the service, uh, the queen, the queen of England looked over at her, almost with an inquiring look. And she looked at the queen of England and she said, he cared for people like us. He cared for people like us. The power of the gospel changed William Booth's life. And untold millions of lives have been changed because of that. That same power is available to you and me. Question is, what are we going to do with it? Our world, our nation, our neighborhoods desperately need the gospel. Are we willing to take it to them in love and in grace? And in mercy. Let's bow our heads together.